Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hello, everybody. This is episode number 10. And uh, with me is my co-host, Christine. Christine, how's everything? Pretty good. How's it going for you? Outstanding. I'm kind of... I'm kind of nervous today, Christine. This is uh, this is a big deal for me. This is a big deal for me. Today, uh, this this episode, I've been kind of chomping at the bit to do for a while, and we got someone that's that's a, a special, super special guest. You know, we have special guests, but this is a super special guest because today we have uh, Sergeant Betsy Bratner Smith, who happens to be Christine. Betsy happens to be one of my blue line heroes. I've been following her secretly on Twitter for <laughs> you've years. Been, you've been online stalking her just a minute. I have been. <laughs> She's one of my heroes. But uh, uh, Betsy, welcome to the podcast. Ken and Christine, thank you so much. This is this is a real treat for me to, to be able to do this. And I wish everybody could see because we all have our thin blue line flag in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and, I thought that uh, was it. Oh my gosh! So it's great to spend time with some like-minded people and talk about some some issues that you know we're all thinking about that really need to be talked about. Totally. Yes, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Christine and I we uh, we got our blue line flags about the same time because uh, this whole thing where uh, somebody said something about uh, oh blue line flags are racist and it was a blah, it was blah, a blah. it was a council and wait for it. California <laughs> decided, decided to deem the icon as as uh, racist, so I put put one in my Amazon cart and ordered it. Yeah, probably, so I did the same thing. It, it probably came from China. But uh, this uh, this this episode is um, the reason I've, I've been wanting to do it for such a long time is because of the current climate uh, in the United States with regard to police officers, and uh, because this is a police applicant podcast. A lot of times we talk to the candidates and they still have a heart. They still want it. Christine, Christine, she's she applies and she wants to get on the police department. We still have people that want to do it. And uh, so first, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through. I have an extensive biography of uh, do we call you Betsy? We do we call you Sarge, Sergeant uh, Smith. No. Betsy's good. Betsy's so, good. So we'll be getting through chapter one today of the introduction bio. <laughs> the introduction. So I'm just going to, I highlighted some stuff. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, give the audience an intro to who, who Betsy is. Um, uh, Sergeant uh, Betsy Smith retired in 2009 as a 29-year veteran of a large metropolitan police department in the Chicago suburbs. And she has a four-year degree from Western, University, Western Illinois University. She got that in 1991. And as a sergeant, she, she supervised canine, field training sergeant, recruitment team sergeant, bike patrol coordinator, crowd control bike team leader, and supervisor of the uh, Community Education Crime Prevention Unit. She also uh, hosted uh, training programs and was a content expert uh, for the Law Enforcement Television Network. Uh, she's currently an on Air commentator and advisor for Police One Academy, and a featured character in the Biography Channel's Female Forces Reality Show. Uh, she's been a law enforcement trainer for over twenty years, and was a content expert and senior instructor for Caliber Press 
uh, Street Survival Seminar from 2003. Anybody who's, who's been in the field knows Caliber Press for uh, Street Survival. Uh, she served on the advisory board of um, Police Marksman Magazine and is currently a featured columnist and video contributor on both Officer.com and PoliceOne.com and uh, is an author, spokesman, and program host for the National Police Association. Uh, she also is a creator of the only course of its kind for women in law enforcement uh, called The Winning Mind for Women and is the owner of The Winning Mind LLC. And you can find her website, uh, www.femaleforces.com. And I had to shorten that that uh, biography. But um, And also, um, I, I, if you go to YouTube, you'll see that... Uh, Betsy also does interviews on BBC and Fox News. So, um, yeah, you've been you've been uh, talking about police stuff for a long time. Oh, my gosh. It seems like my entire adult life. I actually became a police dispatcher at 17 when I was a senior in high school. I so, did read that. And I was like, wow, yeah. how did she how did she even do that? I uh, well, you know, I'll tell you, I was one of those kids that uh, could have kind of gone either way, but I knew I wanted to be a cop. So my dad thought my senior year in high school would be a good idea for me to work 4 p.m. to midnight at the local sheriff's <laughs> department. That's smart. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was very smart on my father's part. I had no time to get in trouble. And I even skipped my senior prom to uh, listen to some of my friends get arrested, uh, you know, for alcohol <laughs> and, awesome. uh, on the radio. Yeah, it was fantastic. And so I dispatched all through college, too, um, at, at my college. And uh, and then two weeks out of college, I, I, was, I was found myself in the police academy. So uh, literally my entire adult life, I have been um, talking about and learning about law enforcement issues. And, and uh, some of them stay the same over these last 40 years and uh and and obviously some change you know we're in such a state of flux right now uh you know on so many different levels when when we talk about the law enforcement profession yeah we uh one of the big deals uh, with policebackground.net we i've been talking to police applicants since 1997 when I was a back when I started as a background investigator and I've always I've always told them the truth uh the worst thing that can happen to you in police work is you'll get dead mm-hmm. you know, someone will kill you I mean I don't I don't joke around about any of that stuff because I want them to know the realities of it and um you and I started somewhere around the same time and it seems to me that Anyone going in that wants to go in police work today, that's that's a tough hill to climb. I mean, it's it's uh, with what's going on. What's what are your thoughts on the current trend um, of police officers leaving the profession today, Betsy? Well, I mean, you know, just when you look at some of the uh, stats out there, uh, Chicago PD, almost every district in Chicago um, has lost at least twelve percent of their officers, and in fact, they have. Uh, even though they have an outrageous number of homicides and shootings, they have detectives sitting in streets and sands vehicles on street corners in some of the districts. Just, you know, they throw on a uniform, go out there and sit. Uh, Chicago PD has lost at least 25% of their beat cops. Um, Philadelphia is short nearly 300 officers. Um, 
NYPD has had, uh, they've had a 40% increase in murders, 275% increase in shootings, and yet they have record retirements. I could go on and on and on and on. Um, but I want people, especially applicants or young people who are interested in the law enforcement profession, I want them to understand that these shortages are regional. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I would, the, the first thing I say now to police applicants is go for it, but be very careful where you apply. You know, we, we like, Ken, you and I probably both, you know, applied at, you know, whatever department was, you know, nearby right. or was near our college or whatever. Now I'm telling recruits, look, you need to do your research and you need to find out the areas that are, uh, you know, you don't want to just look at pay and retirement and all that. You want to look at the community. You want to look at the politics, unfortunately, of those communities. You you want to look at the police department budget. You know, have they been defunded or not? The police department you're uh, interested in, and uh, and educate yourself before you start filling out any application, because there are a lot of states and a lot of regions that are extremely pro police and that's that's what our young applicants need to look at do you find that when when you talk about about candidates doing their research on the departments um do you find that uh, sheriff's departments tend to be in rural more rural not rural maybe but they tend to be a little bit more supportive of their of their deputies than say the seattle police or los angeles police I do find that that uh, sheriff's departments, um, you know, because, you know, the sheriff is a more constitutional position. It's an elected position. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so I have found in speaking with sheriffs that they they tend to be um, you would think they'd be more political because they're politicians. But um, most, you know, probably 90 percent that I uh, encounter and, and read about um, tend to be a little more supportive of their personnel, you know, unless you're going to, again, certain urban areas. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that's something to look at, too, is and, and, and I would tell people, too, you know, don't discount those rural agencies and, and don't discount those smaller towns or those suburbs that are around a large urban area. A lot of times the better, the better pay and the better atmosphere is, you know, 45 minutes, an hour outside of a, a large liberal city. Mm -hmm. So again, do your, do your homework. And as a, somebody who is a suburban cop, um, I, uh, one of the great things about where I spent 29 years was the people really pretty much liked us and appreciated us. And, uh, and that, you know, it, at first, you know, when you get out of the police academy and you're in field training and stuff, you know, you just want bad guys all day long. Um, but there comes a point where in a police career pretty early on where you want to have some appreciation and you want to deal with people who, appreciate what you're doing they appreciate that you're sacrificing your time and and your weekends and and all that so that's something else that that i would at you know i would suggest that applicants look at is what kind of community are you going to be somewhere where you're appreciated everybody likes to be appreciated including <laughs> the police. 
Yeah. And there's, uh, there's other things to think to look at too. And we're going to do an episode on this at some point as well, as far as, uh, benefit, don't be, don't just look at the salary, there's, you know, the benefits in the retirement medical, all that, uh, you need to be aware of all that. But, um, I saw you on a BBC interview. Uh, and if you guys have, uh, have an opportunity to, uh, to look up, uh, Betsy's interviews on Fox and on, on BBC, the, the uh, BBC interview was with a, a police. Uh, he was a, he was a police activist. He didn't like police. He's in fact, the, the guy that you were going toe to toe with. And I mean, she, Betsy went toe to toe with this guy. He, he said he was a police uh, abolitionist. Hmm. And um, yeah. what is, wh- how, do you how do you keep your cool and responding? Because the reason I ask this is I've I speak to candidates all the time and they tell me, yeah, um, uh, my brothers and sisters, they're not going to say something nice about me because they hate the police. And and I'm going to be a police officer and I get I lost all my friends and all this. And here you are. You're on you're on um, national news programs uh, debating these people who hate the police and think the police should be gone. What would you say to police candidates who are just getting, they're not even on the job yet and they're being treated like crap? Absolutely. And this is something we teach in our officer survival class as well. And in our leadership classes, I would tell them one of the things that they want to do is arm themselves to be able to fight that false narrative, arm themselves with the facts, with the statistics that interview that that you're talking about, this police abolitionist, didn't have, I don't think he had a single fact correct. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, that's very frustrating to deal with. But I had my facts. And we were, this was during the time when everybody was discussing uh, the Breonna Taylor case. And he, mm-hmm. he absolutely wanted to argue that Breonna Taylor had been murdered by the police while asleep in her bed, which we all know now isn't true. Um, but that's what I would tell police candidates is, is, is make sure they understand the facts. And the facts are not hard to find, um, you know, although I will caution, you know, depending on what search engine you're using, um, you're going to have to sift through a lot of garbage, a lot of anti-police garbage when you try to Google things like um, police shooting statistics, things like that. But there are good resources out there know the police use of force statistics in this country. And if you, you know, very briefly, we make about, we have 50 to 80 million contacts with our citizens every year of the American law enforcement. There's about 800,000 of us. We contact 50 to 80 million people a year of that 50 to 80 million. We arrest about 10 million people of those 10 million people we arrest we end up in fatal shootings with about a thousand of them a year. And of those thousand a year, if you look at year to year, the number of unarmed people we end up uh, being forced to shoot, and then you add African-American or person of color to that, it's a minuscule number. It's a teeny tiny number. But if you would if if everyone in the audience went out and asked just five random people on the street how many uh, unarmed African American men do you think American law enforcement kills every year most just normal people would say oh gosh it sounds like they kill hundreds mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. unarmed 
young black men. And that because that's what the media wants us to believe. So I would tell applicants, um, you know, you don't need to yell and scream and this and that, but just very politely discuss the facts um, with their family and friends. You're always going to lose a few friends uh, when you go into a field like law enforcement. Air quotes um, on friends. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. friends. Um, but, uh, um, and they told me that in the police academy in 1981, you know, you're yeah. going to lose friends. And, um, um, but you're also going to make some amazing new friends that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And, um, but yeah, arm yourself to be able to fight the false narrative. Every single person out there who is thinking, even thinking about applying for a job in law enforcement needs to get Heather McDonald's book, The War on Cops. And that's a good way to begin educating yourself on that false narrative and be able to, to do battle politely with your friends and family. So it's funny that you mentioned that point, because when you think about like all the professions, so like, and obviously I'm not going to like give a long winded list of all of them, but when you think about like police officers, doctors, lawyers, teachers, um, and it's specifically doctors, like you think about the amount of mistakes that are made in their profession on a daily basis. It's like the numbers are not even comparable when you look at like amounts of doctors that have malpractice suits or that are being sued for X, Y, and Z reason because they were negligent in administration of care or whatever. Like in healthcare, people, I think that that's totally accurate, but people don't want to hear the facts. You know what I mean? So that can be difficult too, is because people, when when you're hearing that on the news, that becomes the reality. And that's the whole idea that, that, you know, they're behind it because it sells. And I think that that's the unfortunate thing is because they make it sound as though it's much larger, like you said, than it is in reality. And when you compare it to other professions, it's actually less than a lot of other professions um, actually see on an annual basis or whatever. I think that the statistics, people don't want to look at them and or misinterpret them. And so it's really difficult. Absolutely. I My father-in-law was a physician. My daughter-in-law is a physician. Uh, my older daughter's a dentist. Um, right. you know, we have lots of ties in the medical community. And, and one of the stats I love to throw out in the national media is uh, uh, medical mistakes kill about 250,000 people a year. Right. A quarter of a million people die from medical mistakes. And, and that's and, not to say that doctors are awful people and they mean to do no, that, but just, just the same way. Right. Yes. And just the same way cops do that. And people want to bombard them with, you know, hate for it. And the thing that stinks also is when you mentioned, um, you know, losing friends because of, of things like this. The unfortunate thing is like, even if that were true, even if the whole their Brianna Taylor stance on, you know, like when they read the, the actual transcript or the what actually has happened, most people can accept the facts. But even if they didn't, and even if that did happen, and even if what you thought was true, that's still so silly to have such a closed-minded mentality to now hate your friend and, in effect, stop being friends with them because they want to be a police officer, as if that it makes them inherently a bad person. It's ridiculous to me. <laughs> like, even if yeah. that were true, even if even if that cop was a terrible person and he did it on purpose, even it, with Derek Chauvin, even if you want to say that he's guilty, like, yes, yeah, it, that's fair. But it doesn't mean that, like, just because your friend wants to be a police officer, that he's automatically associated with that cop and every bad action that's ever taken place. 
it's just crazy. I get so heated about it. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, this is kind of a an offshoot of cancel culture, if you will, right. where, right. you know, people are like, well, you know, if you're going to be a cop, then I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And in essence, I'm canceling you out of my life. And I know cops where they have had, they have literally had family members cancel them right. uh, from their lives. And it's just, it's just so sad. It's just, it, it, it's like I was discussing with somebody the other day that um, uh, even 10 years ago, we were able to, um, you know, because I'm, I'm politically conservative, you know, I, I don't hide that. Um, but I have liberal friends and liberal family members, and we used to have these fun, rousing discussions about right. ideas, and and it was, you know, and we probably it was never civil. Yeah. Yes, and it was fun, you know, and I don't know that we changed each other's minds ever, but we would, we were respectful, and it was funny, and we could have a couple of beers and discuss ideas. You can't do that anymore, and it's just right. so sad. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, depending on who it's with, that's the hard thing too, is um, like just talking to people. I think that's good because you expand your mindset and things like that. But even when it comes to what you were saying about, um, gosh, now I'm losing it. Um, I think, yeah, just talking to people and having those conversations is good because it gives you an opportunity to talk to people about these things and maybe like not even just change their mind, but offer them a different perspective. And I would say if you feel like people are going to cancel you for being a police officer or, you know, supporting the police, then that says a whole hell of a lot more about them than it does about you. And if you're interested in the the field, then I would say do it and prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. Give them every reason to see that you are a cop and you're a good person still. <laughs> that would be like the utmost ideal of slapping somebody in the face for having a stupid opinion. I'm sorry. <laughs> like just prove them wrong. Right. The best revenge is a life well lived. Yes. Like go out and just give them every reason to to see that what they've said about police officers is wrong. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite Betsy Smith quotes is Derek Chauvin is not the face of law enforcement. Right. And um, you talk about Heather McDonald's book, uh, uh, The uh, War on Cops, which I think everybody should read. But um, you also you had a great commentary on the warrior ethos and not the liberals who hate cops. They really don't like that word warrior when it's applied to police officers. Can you go into what that means for um, when when police candidates want to apply, I don't think they get into that mindset, that life and death type of mindset. Can you go into that a little bit about what you mean by that warrior ethos? Absolutely. There's this bizarre in the last year, and actually it started before, um, this, this bizarre notion about quote-unquote warrior training that we can't have warrior training. And, and there's, there's a guy who wrote a book, you know, about no more warrior cops and things like that. And, and yet, and, and my husband does this a lot more than I do. He has asked so many people, what exactly is warrior training? Not a single person, including the legislators in Minnesota who have banned warrior training. It's in their statutes, no warrior training. They do not define warrior training. They don't, they have no idea what it's about. And once in a while, you'll get somebody that'll say, um, 
Well, when we look at the dictionary version, the dictionary definition of warrior, it means someone who makes war. It's like, well, you know what? That's not how we do language by the just the dictionary. And it's not how we do police training. So we still, to this day, teach what we call warrior ethos. The word ethos means habits. And the habits of a warrior, the ethos of a warrior, are duty, honor, courage, loyalty, strength, selfless service. Isn't that what you want your cop to have? Betsy, they they conveniently leave all that out. (laughs) Of course they do. And these, (laughs) these are the same people that are talking about like, semi-automatic automatic rifles and that thing yeah, AR exactly. stands for assault rifle. So I yeah. just feel like people too often will regurgitate things that they hear without recognizing that they don't have an idea what they're talking about and just automatically buy into it, which is unfortunate. Well, and it is, you know, there's just, there's just been a whole, there's been an attempt to cancel um, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who's a, a mm. well-known law enforcement trainer. He's a friend of ours. And, uh, and, and they, they say that he does warrior training. I have probably sat in on 50, at least 50 of his presentations and the, the video, the little snippets of video that they're trying to use to discredit him. I've never heard him say, um, and, and although I'm familiar with the context and they're, they're trying to say that he teaches cops to go out and kill people, you know, and then of course, you know, the name of his, uh, his website is killology.com. And then actually what killology is, is just a study of what happens to people when they are forced to kill somebody in the police and in the, in the military and also in, uh, civilian life. He deals with that a lot. So this, this notion that we shouldn't be talking about taking a life uh, when we're talking about law enforcement training is just, it's just, it's nonsense. It's just, it's absolute spoon fed pablum nonsense. And, uh, but, but I, you, it's hard to get people who are angry at the police interested in really understanding um, what warrior training means. Dave and I, last year we were teaching out West and, uh, and we got protested. This was in Washington State, Ken. And, uh, um, I'm embarrassed. We got protested for doing uh, what they w- wanted to call warrior training. And we had two of the little protesters try and try and go undercover and sneak into our class. They were really bad at that. Um, but I was talking to one of them, and I and I told him, I said, you know, if you just would have come up and said, I do, I want to know more about exactly. Your I told them I would have sat with them and gone over every PowerPoint slide and every video and every theme that we discussed. I said, I I would spend hours with you just so you understand, but they didn't want to do that because they don't want to learn. They just want to, they just want to try and cancel. I think, uh, I think Dave Grossman was the one when people quote uh, sheep, I'm a sheepdog. Right. And uh, he's the one that came up with that whole that whole mm-hmm. movement and uh yeah that he he's a uh, he's a uh, very well known in those areas but uh you know one thing uh years ago in the 90s and maybe the early 2000s LEPD had a question on their on their application and the question was for the for the applicants um 
if you had to, if you had to take someone's life, would you hesitate to do so? Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And um, you, Betsy, you're a, a, I think you're a use of force expert, and you teach, you've trained years on um, police tactics and all that. What kind of, uh, what kind of mindset does you know? It's it's different today with police candidates because nobody wants to touch a bad guy, much less shoot them. Right. Right. Especially if the, if the suspect is a person of color, what kind of mindset or mental state should the police candidates be in today, knowing that they might have to pull the trigger? Well, I think first and foremost, that we need to, we need to make it clear um, to our candidates, to our, our young people that are thinking about going into law enforcement that the chances of you having to use deadly force on the job are extremely low, mm-hmm. <clears throat> extremely, extremely low. Most police officers never have to use deadly force on the job. Now, having said that, let's keep in mind that uh, we're right now living in a country where uh, the homicide rate has gone up. Um, mm-hmm. you know, 30 to 50%, depending on where you're at, some a lot more like Portland, Oregon. Um, and, uh, um, so that it is becoming more and more dangerous out there, but there's a lot more to being a police officer than just going out there and having to shoot someone. So, so that's a police leadership needs to make sure that we're being open about what a career in law enforcement is going to entail. Um, but does a, a police applicant, do they have to know that they can, um, that, they are, that they're going to have to act properly if they're confronted with a deadly force situation? But let me say this, and we don't talk about this enough in law enforcement. Law enforcement officers do not decide the level of force to use in any given situation. Mm-hmm. We merely respond. So the bad guy decides the level of force. So when exactly we to, when we go to arrest somebody and the bad guy complies, like most do, um, then our level of force is fairly low. But when we go to arrest somebody or we walk up on a traffic stop and somebody pulls a gun, that person has decided to make this a deadly force situation. The police officer just responds. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something that, again, as police trainers and police leaders, we need to make that clear to our applicants that you're going to not decide you're going to respond. Right. I think that's a really good point. And the thing that I I think about a lot, too, is people who talk about, um, you know, like the broad generalizations or painting everybody with a broad brush and just kind of lumping people together is thinking about um, we can compromise with people who maybe have a different perspective. Like I, I can compromise with somebody by saying like, yeah, police are not opposed to extra training or needing more training. Like they love training. I think that that's great. If they could get more of it, it would be phenomenal. But can we agree that it's not just the police who need retraining or who need more training? It's the public. It is the public. (laughs) The public needs more training. (laughs) 
And it's it's and even if that comes down to like people just being more aware, that's what's so great about like citizens academies. If your local agency or if you're involved or even if you're if you're interested in the field or even if you're not, like it it is so great to take advantage of those because you get such such a more inside un, uh, perspective and understanding of why they do what they do. And yeah, and it really I makes sense. I used to run my agency, Citizen Police Academy, and and that was, yeah, I mean, and that was, oh my gosh, what a great, you know, you you would, and we would always make sure that in our Citizen Police Academy, we had several young people, I mean, like high school age people, um, we always made sure we had a couple of media, we always made sure we had a couple of police spouses, you know, and we always made sure that, you know, we tried to get people who were not the biggest fans of us. Right, and, and that's the hard thing yeah. is that. The people that that probably should go or could benefit most from going are not the types of people that will typically go to a police academy exactly. or to a citizens academy. Sorry. Yeah. And um, and that's what you know. We need to do. Uh, we law enforcement. We need to do a better job of getting our message out there. This is something my husband and I are also very passionate about in in talking to police leadership. But unfortunately. A lot of times, you know, we're law enforcement tends to be kind of behind the eight ball and things like that. We we're we're just a little behind the times. One of the best examples um, of a police leader who really gets out there and talks to people is Chief James Craig from Detroit, Michigan. And, and yeah, exactly. Right. And he he uh, that guy. Whenever he has any kind of uh, officer involved shooting or anything, he is out there within hours or less explaining to people what happened. And he is not afraid to say, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. When I know this, I'll get back to y'all. And uh, and there's a reason Detroit hasn't burned down in this last year. And that's because of, of Chief Craig. You know, I love talking to uh, Betsy because I know she's not going to mince words and she's going to tell it you know, like it is, she's going to tell the truth. Right. And with regard to, um, do you think that uh, when, when police candidates are doing their research on departments, is it a good idea to check out the news articles on say the chiefs of police and like that? I mean, cause I have opinions about some of these chiefs and uh, they're not good opinions, yeah. uh, especially people that uh, police chiefs that uh, um work for the mayor and uh, uh when you're when they're doing research on where to apply is it a good idea to check out if the police uh, chief is kind of weak or <laughs> yeah absolutely you know this is uh, for uh, our friends in the private sector i don't think anybody applies for a job without at least looking at the ceo you know some news stories about the ceo or whatever so, yeah, we we need to, you know, we need to encourage our applicants to look into the police leadership. So, yeah, noodle around some, um, uh, you know, find out about the police chief and not not just the chief or the sheriff, but, you know, deputy chief or under sheriff. And then look at your county board or your city council, maybe even go, uh, you know, go to a city council meeting, you know, they're open meetings, sitting back kind of hear how things go and what they're talking about. And again, look at the politics of it and, and see, you know, it's not going to be hard to find out 
if the police department is frequently used as some sort of punching bag for uh, the local politicians. And that's something that you're going to want to know. And, and again, I would encourage every police applicant before you apply, go to that agency that you're interested in and go on a ride along. You don't even have to tell them you're doing it, you know, because you want to apply. Just tell them you'd like to learn more about it. Or you can talk to them about that and, and maybe get a tour of the station and see if the thin blue line flag is hanging up somewhere. Um, see how... Um, what kind of attitude the officers have. Um, that's another thing is to talk to the officers that are already there. But absolutely, you want to research your your leadership in that age because there are, unfortunately, um, we're seeing uh, some very weak police chiefs out there. And and, fr and frankly, when you look at the, the subject of the thin blue line flag, um, mm -hmm. there are stories mm -hmm. all over the country of... Um, police officers uh, who are made to remove the thin blue line flag from their uniform or their cars or from the roll call room or, or whatever. I just interviewed um, Nate Silverman, who is the uh, TikTok cop who uh, oh. responds to LeBron James. If you yeah. guys remember him, oh, okay. great yeah. guy. he's coming out with a book and um, um, but in that video, he has on his outer vest cover a thin blue line flag. Well, after that video went viral and he got suspended for it, um, they all had to take that flag off of their outer mm -hmm. vest carriers. You know, and it was it was just unfortunate. And that was not he is a very strong police chief. She's fantastic. Um, but but there's weak leadership in the city. So look at both. Look at all of it. You know, I can't remember if you wrote an article. There's there's a couple of articles you wrote. Uh, and I don't remember if you touched on the controversy be, about the uh, thin blue line and blue lives matter. Um, and uh, this whole thing where it's been appropriated by these um, by these anti-police groups saying that the thin blue line and blue lives matter is racist. Right. And that's the what, biggest misunderstanding. Yeah, what do what what response should police candidates have when someone says, "Oh, you want to work for a systemically racist um, uh, occupation? Why would you want to do that? And and why you why do you have that blue line flag? Uh, what would you what's what's a good response?" Well, as far as our uh, thin blue line flag goes, um, and I have done a number of media interviews on this and done some writing on it. Um, this thin blue, our thin blue line American flag, and then there's also another thin blue line flag, you know, that's just black with our blue line over it. Other people don't get to assign meaning to that. That mm -hmm. is our flag. And what it means to law enforcement is we're, we are honoring our fallen and we are taking pride in our, in our profession. And, you know, this flag has been around for at least 40 years. It's in about 60 other countries. It's not just the thin blue line American flag, but you can find a thin blue line flag in at least 60 other countries. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we've got to, this is the thing, and this is what I would ask these chiefs to do. Instead of saying, oh, I'll take it down if it offends you, explain what it means and stop allowing these fringe groups who are mad at law enforcement 
um, to, to assign meaning to it. It has nothing to do with race. That, yes. That's the other thing where it's, it's all of a sudden become racist. It, I have yet to find anyone in academia, in the media, um, anywhere who can tell me what is systemically racist about the law enforcement profession. Um, and that's one of those things where it goes back to what we were talking about before. We've got to fight the false narrative. And, um, and you know, and because people like to say, well, obviously the justice system is, is um, racist because there's more African-Americans in prison um, than there are white people in certain areas. Okay, well, then we're going to have to have that uncomfortable conversation where we ask who commits the crimes, so I just, in fact, I just um, posted something on Twitter today where a reporter in, um, I believe it was Memphis, Tennessee, uh, did a, a whole study on um, use of force in Memphis PD. And that they, they came out with, they use, uh, Memphis PD uses, uses force uh, far more on black individuals than it does on white individuals. And throughout this whole exhaustive study, not once did they mention who commits the crimes. Exactly. So <laughs> somebody mentioned the same statistics. They were saying, well, if you look at, you know, um, black, you know, people of color committing crimes compared to the the vast majority of the population in that area. And I was like, nope, that's skewed already because. You have to compare these numbers. The percentages need to be compared to the people who are committing crimes. <laughs> so when you compare the number of people who are arrested to the number of people committing crimes, that statistic looks a hell of a lot different than when you're taking that number and comparing it to the whole population. And right. people just yeah, people don't exactly. get that. 13% of the population, and it's actually more like 9% because it's mostly male, but right. uh, 13% of the population commits about 52% of the violent crime in this country. That's an uncomfortable thing to, to, for some people to say, but it's, it's accurate. So are there going to be, if more young black, if more black men are committing crime, then it would, it would uh, be logical that more are in prison. And it's, and, and yet we, you know, again, back when I started on the job, we used to talk about things like uh, uh, crime and who was committing it so that we could do something about that. That's basically where community policing uh, really came right. into being in the 70s and 80s. We were like, mm -hmm. wow, we need to reach out to these young people. And, and you know, again, I came from Chicago and you look at Chicago now, we've spent, you know, 40 plus years doing all these community policing programs and outreach programs to youth in poor neighborhoods and things like that. Tell me how Chicago looks right now. I'll tell you because my youngest kid lives there. Um, you know, we have got 45 to 80 shootings a weekend. Uh, my kid is leaving the city because she can't. She's so tired of all the crime and and all the uh, protests and, and this and that. And she's like, I'm done. I'm done. I love Chicago, but she's done. And, uh, and, you know, and it's really unfortunate because it's a beautiful city. It's a wonderful city, but it has horrible leadership. And we, we, all the mayor does there, like a lot of big city mayors is blames the police. And we have mm -hmm. got to start looking at the criminals and blaming them. Right. And how convenient it must be to always have a scapegoat to blame. 
Absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, no matter no matter what, you know, Mayor Life can just say, well, it's, you know, it's the fault of the Chicago Police Department. And that's just unfortunate. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think that what leads to all of this is just misunderstanding, like you said, like coming out and explaining instead of trying to cancel things or complying with taking things down. Like, why not just have like a reasonable, compassionate conversation with somebody to eliminate some of the misunderstanding that leads to these things? It's just coming becoming more and more rare that that happens well and people are petrified of getting canceled and Mm -hmm. and or being you know know, ostracized from friends and family one of the reasons that uh the national police association asked me to be their spokesman is because they knew it was i was gonna have to say you know quote unquote controversial things and they needed somebody that couldn't be canceled and Mm -hmm. that's me you know, I, uh, yes, I'm a police trainer and, uh, but guess who owns the training company I work for? Oh, that's me. And, um, you know, I'm retired from my agency. So, you know, if people want to call yelling and screaming at my chief, you know, he's going to tell them, you know what, she hasn't worked here in 11 years. So, right. uh, so no, nobody has any control yeah, over you. Nobody cares. And, uh, um, and that's what, you know, we need more people to be able to do that, to be able to speak freely and with, and we, but we've got to do it with knowledge. You know, we've got to do it with the facts. Facts matter. Yep. What, um, uh, what do you think about the current state of, uh, social media and police officers? There's a, there's a police officer in Reno that just sued his department, I think for a million dollars. Uh, because he was on his own time and blah, 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 and said something about, about uh, BLM and stuff like that. And he got, um, he got disciplined, four-day suspension. What do you think the candidates should be doing as far as their social media as it relates to, uh, to going into police work? Well, that's an excellent question because social media can absolutely make or break a police applicant. So I would I would encourage um, our police applicants to first and foremost, before they start applying, is go through all of their social media. And don't forget about it can't just be Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But don't forget if you got, you know, you have a page on Reddit or you got involved in, you know, there's so many different things or you're on MeWe or you're on Parlor or whatever. Um Go through all of your social media and and make sure that you don't have anything posted that you posted when you were 14 that could be perceived as problematic. Um, and then when you do get hired, and this is for you know current law enforcement officers out there, know what your social media policy says. Policy mm-hmm. is different. And um, so know what your social media policy is and know that in some departments, you know, your First Amendment rights are kind of limited on or off duty. I mean, I keep thinking about those two female officers in New Jersey. One got fired and one got um, disciplined just because the one, the one who got fired just posted um, her opinion that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. You know what? I say that in the national media about every week because I believe (laughs) that it is a terrorist organization and they're they're a Marxist organization. They don't try to hide any of this stuff. No. And uh, and they're all in with Antifa, which is also a terrorist organization. 
And uh, but this officer, she got fired for stating her opinion off duty. I think she's got a great lawsuit. We'll see what happens. And then her coworker got disciplined for liking the post. Mm-hmm. So police applicants, don't forget that it's not just what you post. It's what you like. It's what mm-hmm. group you might belong to on Facebook or what list you might be on uh, on Twitter. So um, I would, and I know this is going to make the make the uh, shutter go through every young police applicant that's listening to this. But honestly, if you want to make sure uh, that none of this causes you problems, take down all your social media accounts. Get rid of them until you get hired, you get through the academy, and you're off probation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this next question I have will be of special interest. To Christine, <laughs> um, you know, back when uh, back when Betsy started in the police department, and I and uh, this is going back many many years, forty years, but uh, women police officers were not uh, very welcome. And it wasn't until I think nineteen seventy seven when LAPD first started uh, field certifying females for for the police department. It's always, and by the time I came on, it was you know there were. Uh, a lot of women and they had already broken through that, that, uh, barrier. But, um, tell us a little bit, cause we have, we have, uh, uh, part of our audience is, uh, female, female applicants and tell us a little bit, you're the creator of a course called the winning mind for women. And, uh, you're the owner of the winning mind LLC. Can you tell us a little bit about the, this type of training for women? Oh, absolutely. And I've had people say, well, why do women need their own class? Um, They don't. But what what we do in the in the winning mind for women. And and again, I've been doing this. I've been doing training uh, for women for at least 25 years. And uh, and and this is the thing that the winning mind for women isn't just for women. We encourage men to come to the class because what we talk about and I, I do. I do uh, a lot of training related to that uh, because I've done decades of research on the differences uh, in the sexes, the differences in the genders. Oh, my God. Yes, I just said that out loud. Did she say uh, that? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. Um, there is a big difference in the way men and women think there's a difference in the way there's a big difference in our physicality there's a difference in the way we learn um there's a huge difference in the way we communicate and um, process things yeah yeah i mean and nobody's right nobody's wrong it's just that if we learn how did how uh, our differences affect each other and they and how they affect how we train you know the, the, for example the way i would deal with a male uh, recruit on uh, a firing range is going to be somewhat different than the way I deal with a female crew. I mean, we're not going to baby the female recruit. It's just that women learn differently because our brain is connected differently, all that kind of stuff. So that's what we do. In, in uh, we have the winning mind for women, the winning mind for women unleashed. And we have a class called the truth about gender differences that I have even taken into the Pentagon. And uh, so this this differences in the sexes affects so much of what we do and including our personal relationships. So we are doing continuous research about this. And it's just it's a lot of fun. And, Christine, you'll find this out when you get 
when you get go further along in your career is there's also just something really terrific about sitting in a room full of women crime fighters and just being able to talk about your different experiences and, and this and that. When I was a young cop, I didn't know any women cops. I, I had no idea. I saw them on TV. And uh, that's really all I knew about it. And my first sergeant, who later became a friend much later, told me in my first five minutes of meeting him that he didn't believe in broads and police work. And uh, and that was just that was 1981. And, um, you know, so when I started to meet other women and I started to to become, uh, you know, a writer and I was able to interview other women and learn about some of the things that they had done and what just amazing badasses they were. It was just fantastic. Yeah. And, and so that's what we do. And also in the winning mind for women is we highlight um, women who are just amazing and, you know, who have cool. won gunfights and done amazing things for their community. And I've got an officer talking about my classes who donated a kidney to a kid who was in her patrol beat. Yeah, mm. you know, you want to go back to what a what warrior ethos is? That's warrior ethos. Wow. Selfless service. I'm going to give this eight year old kid a kidney because I see him every day on patrol. That's mm. what cops do, and 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 that's what women do. Women are incredibly compassionate about this profession, and uh, and it's fun to talk to them, and it's especially fun when we have men and women together to to really hash out some of these differences. Right. And, you know, well, and I feel like the, like the talk about like how, you know, men and women should be equal and it's like, yeah, well, yeah, they should be in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of, there's strength in the differences. Like they are, they're not equal in the sense that we are different and that's okay. And that there's like, like how we talk about how women process and communicate and all of these other things differently than men do. Um, and it doesn't put one over the other. It makes them like kind of compatible to work together, which is even better because you have somebody whose strength is X and another person whose strength is Y. And when you put those together, then it's like you've got you've got like a dream team. So it's kind yeah, of cool. the best investigative team you can have is a man and a woman. Right. And, and yeah. most veteran cops will tell you that. Right. You know, and men so are going to see one thing. Women are going to see another. And I think that we've kind of lost sight of the strength in our differences and like it, that it's okay. Like women should be able to feel strong in their softness because that is a strength. And I think that like we've lost sight of that in the, a lot of people have lost sight of that in the fight for like men and women being equal. And it's like, yes, in, in terms of pay and all these other, all these other realms, then yeah, absolutely. But, um, but and in women, like, yeah, women, they are different. We need to be physical on the job. I've got, you know, you and I've got to be just as ready as anybody else to finish a fight. Right. And all that. But what we, what, and you make a really good point. You know, what we stopped talking about was taking advantage of those differences. Most yep. women, and I guarantee you, you talk to any woman cop that you know, um, they will tell you about a time and probably multiple times where they were able to talk a bad guy yes. into a set of handcuffs and into the back of their patrol car. And the bad guy's like, he doesn't know <laughs> how happened? he got there. Yeah. And, um, but that's the, that's what women do. And, and men um, don't necessarily like to fight a woman. I would much rather fight a man than another woman. Women are dirty. 
And, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, but that, this is the thing we've got to be physically, you know, ready, tactically ready, but we need to take advantage of those strengths that we right. have. Um, you know, before we close, I think it, it's good that, uh, we leave our candidates with a, with a, a word of motivation. And this is where, where Betsy gets preach it because the, the the everybody watches the news anybody who's who's not watching the news has got their uh, uh head in the sand and uh they see the police officers are getting beat up physically beat up the they're getting ptsd from these ongoing riots because they're not allowed to to shut down the riots and then they get beat up on the other end um by maybe friends and family who's who absolutely reject that they have a dream. And I think that for the most part, when it comes to motivation, when I talk to people who want to be police officers in 2021, there's a burning in their heart that they, it doesn't matter what they see out there, or what they hear, but police officers are leaving the departments. They have a burning in their soul that they just, they're called to be police officers. Betsy, what would you say to these, to keep them motivated? It, and it is a calling. And, and it, it, this is not just a job you get to pay your bills. This is an absolute calling. And I want every one of our applicants to understand that the majority of the American public appreciates you, appreciates what you do. You know, they appreciate our law enforcement officers. And, and, and especially in the poorest of neighborhoods, very often the American law enforcement officer is the only thing standing between those law-abiding citizens and absolute crime and chaos. Uh, uh, Rasmussen just came out with a poll a week or two ago, and I want every young recruit or potential recruit there to burn this into your brain. Even in these times, uh, less than two weeks ago, American law enforcement polled much higher than the president of the United States and Major League Baseball. Yeah. So, Sick! <laughs> we are absolutely way more popular and way more appreciated than, than really than the media wants you to know. And I want my police recruits to understand this. That, yes, we are free in America because of our Constitution and because of the American military that defends us at home and abroad. But we remain free in our day-to-day -day lives because of American law enforcement. Right. So we have, got to, we have got to make sure that our young recruits know how essential they are to the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And if you have a passion for this profession, go for it. I was a cop for 29 years. I never had the same day twice. None of my non-law enforcement friends can say this. It's an amazing profession. And, Damn it, and Betsy, I, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I would recommend it to anyone. Just know where you're applying, but know how important this job is. Well, I think I, I speak for Christine. I've been I've been in the field before with police leaders and sergeants and things. And I think for Christine and I, she's not in there, but I think Christine, that it's safe to say that if if Betsy Smith was leading a platoon of police officers into battle, I would 
not hesitate one second. I feel like after, I feel like after the spiel she just gave right now, like people who had no interest in law enforcement are probably interested <laughs> in law enforcement. I want to join now. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, Betsy, this has been a kick in the pants, man. I mean, there's uh, uh, to have someone like you. I, I like I say, uh, I said earlier in the in the in the program uh, that uh, you go, you don't you don't shudder at going toe to toe with these uh, these activists on on television, live television, and tell it like it is. And they, I didn't. And she see, shouldn't. I don't think people should. No. No, you you're you're amazing. You're a warrior. Uh, you're a blue line hero. I think everybody uh, should uh, find out everything that there is to know on on, on the internet. Uh, Betsy has a ton of articles. She's on YouTube with interviews, uh, just about so much stuff. Um, and uh, Betsy, how can how can they find you if they want to find more information about your courses and your company and things like that? Well, I encourage everybody first to go to nationalpolice.org and uh, learn more about the National Police Association and all the terrific things we're doing and go to the National Police Association's YouTube page. And that's where you can see our show, uh, the NPA report that's on every Sunday morning on uh, Pluto and it streams on the first. And uh, otherwise you can watch and you can see all my interviews (laughs) on uh, on YouTube and uh, I'm on Twitter at, uh, it's at SGT Betsy Smith, at Sergeant Betsy Smith. And uh, my website is uh, femaleforces.com or bucksavage.com. And uh, you can see our training classes and where we're going to be and, and uh, what we're doing. And I'm, I, you can see, you can tell I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. this profession. I'm passionate about what the National Police Association is doing. And I'm, I'm passionate about this country and what American law enforcement means to this greatest nation on earth. I just mm-hmm. open, I just open like seven new internet tabs on my window that I have open right now. <laughs> you got to read. Um, well, this has been wonderful. It's been a treat for me and uh, we're really thankful that you came on and you're able to encourage and motivate our uh, police applicants. And like I say, uh, you tell it like it is. And I think that uh, if anybody um, has Twitter, if you never post on Twitter or you don't follow anybody, follow Betsy Smith because she goes, she does not mind. It doesn't matter if it's the president of the United States or whoever. And she puts it out there and she doesn't care if people don't like it or not. But the thing is, you've you're tactful about it. And that's the important part is you don't lose any credibility (laughs) in getting angry. You just say it like it is without, you know, with without apology. And there's nothing, you know, in a polite way that people can't even really they can't undermine it. My yeah. mother would be so happy to hear you say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I was raised. <laughs> well, Christine, awesome. I think this has been an awesome interview. Uh, anything else, Christine? I don't know. I just, I'm impressed at like what a wealth of knowledge you are. And so I would, I would yeah. love to, to have more chats with you in the future. If you'd like to come back on, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll come back anytime. I, I, this is a great format and, uh, yeah. And it's, you know, I'm very excited to, uh, to touch base with your audience. So please, everybody bring it, bring it to Twitter, bring it to wherever. And, uh, um, yeah, let's, let's keep conversing. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, we'll be back again with another episode and, uh, thank you guys for listening.
Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.